Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. We've heard all this talk about the Fed recently and CPI and inflation and the economy and You've heard of soft landing or hard landing, but no landing? They've come out with a third choice. Now we've got no landing. It's the economist versus the Fed. And then Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, uses the word transitory to talk about disinflation. That's what their, their goal is now, disinflation, to bring down the inflation rate, to have inflation subside. They call that disinflation. And he used the words transitory. That's your narrative you're going with, Jerome? It seems like your PR department would forbid you from using that word transitory because inflation wasn't transitory and you guys missed the mark for two years. So what makes us, what gives the people confidence that disinflation will also be transitory? I'm just saying, get out of thesaurus and pick a few different words because that word, you burnt that one. That's done. Um, Anyway, and speaking of narrative, we're going to talk about the perfect stock indicator. When to buy and when to sell, if only it were that easy, right? Um, But what is it telling us now? What you should do and what you should not do. It might surprise you. And the average 401k went down 20% or more last year. No, No surprise there. And who's running for president? No, I'm not talking about Nikki Haley. No, I'm not talking. Of, I'm talking about the man himself. No, not Donald. Which man? Not Donald Trump, a.k.a. the Donald. It is none other than Vivek Ramaswamy. Okay? I saw that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he actually, he's a, he's a, he's. He's, an, he's born here in America. He's American, and he's got he's been very successful. Got a couple different uh, different businesses. Um, actually, Merrill, my office manager, told me that he's actually that name is actually from Southern India, and his parents are from Kerala, which is mm. very beautiful. But but really, it's more about what he's doing here and what he's trying to do. And you'd be surprised at some of his his ideas because he's very against that ESG investing, that environmental quote woke investing because because mm. it's got an he talks about that. So he's anyway, it's very interesting. And and then to pass or to bypass. So I'm gonna make a little clarification on something I talked about the bypass for estate planning and stuff. We'll get into that. And oh the fiduciary rule for four oh one K rollovers to IRAs, the Department of Labor requirement just got shot down by another judge. So now there's two judges saying this is not constitutional. And then we'll get to the mailbag, Don Ho and Team Revere, and we'll dig down into the markets. All right, so let's go into it real quick. I know that Ted's got to leave a little bit early, so we're going to get right into it, do a couple topics. And then I may actually throw it over to Don so we can hit Ted before he leaves. Now, no landing scenario. By the way, folks, all of the articles that I do and bring up these topical things are kind of fun and and enlightens the show a little bit. But it is some things that you have to be aware of. All of these articles are in the show notes, and you can go read them yourselves. That's right. Because uh, so, I'm just doing a quick drive-by to get you the just the, yes. the flavor of it. Okay. So this is titled "No Landing uh, No Landing Scenario at Odds with Fed Goals." So economically speaking, bullish bets are mounting on a no landing scenario, which suggests, for those listening, I just did air quotes with my fingers, um, the, which suggests the economy will avoid recession entirely. 
no recession. Okay, and it says it considers a scenario where inflation doesn't actually cool while economic growth continues. I've got a question. Is it growth or is it inflation? And that, well, I mean, if you're, that's why you got to measure sales in units, not in dollar volume. If you're measuring in dollar volume, you've got to adjust for inflation. You've got to have adjust. So in other words, if your sales went up 5%, but inflation went up 8%, your cost, guess what? Your sales are down three. You're not up five. That's just cost went up. Right. Okay. Now it says, in other words, the market is saying inflation will be significantly higher in a year's time than the Fed 2% target. Uh, well, that's a no brainer. Uh, even though Arian said that, you know, Fed hits their 2% target in a year to do that, you will crush the economy. You will absolutely cause a massive recession. He's probably right on that because you have to raise by another couple percent. Mm. Um, anyway, anyway, it says the Fed futures show the market expectation rate cuts start by mid-year uh, to the terminal rate has shifted higher. So the probabilities now are higher for a 50-point increase. Anyway, it says, one, if the market continues uh, and the uh, economy avoids recession, there is no need for the Fed to reduce rates. More importantly, there's also no reason for the Fed to stop reducing liquidity on the balance sheet. See, they can say we're not going to raise rates, but if they drain the, the free reserve, the excess reserves in the banking system, that'll raise rates on its own because the supply of money went down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Also, a no landing scenario gives Congress no reason to provide fiscal support uh, to boost the economy uh, to the money supply, meaning a bunch of big spending by Congress. Uh, folks, don't get excited. That'll never happen. Congress is going to spend. They have one button, spend. They don't. They they put a veto on the on the cut button. They just took it out. They removed it. They don't. They they don't cut. They don't know what that is. Uh, they're not a family budget. Um, anyway, uh, no, and so here are the problems. It says, here's the problem with the no landing scenario. No landing does not make sense because it essentially means the economy continues to expand and it's part of an ongoing business cycle and it's not an event. It's just ongoing growth. Doesn't that entail the Fed will have to raise rates more and it doesn't that increase the risk of a hard landing? In other words, isn't this cir circular reasoning if you continue to have interest rates? The Fed funds futures are now priced. Now, this was written about a week ago. Michael, get ready. So the Fed futures are pricing in a 21% chance the Fed will raise rates by 50 points in March, not 25. Now, just recently, last time I looked, it was 27 or 28%, not 21. Michael, what is it now? So this morning we jumped to 40% actually, and now we're back down to 30%. Okay. So, so, so but, it's but, around 30%. but it is increasing. Okay. So here's the thing. It says the view was supported by fed presidents, uh, Loretta Meister and Jim Bullard. Those are normally the Hawks on the committee. So these are a couple quotes Bullard. I wouldn't rule out supporting 50 basis points in March Bullard fed risk, a replay of the seventies. If it can't lower inflation soon. What do you mean risk, uh, risk the seventies, man, we're there. I mean, we're there. This is it. Wake up fed. You're by, you're a lagging indicator. The fed, the lagging in, Ooh, that's a good one. The fed, the lagging indicator. Remind me of that, Zach. Yeah. Uh, that's going to make the show notes. All right. Um, um, it says Bullard, uh, the policy rate range is now going to be 5.25 to 5.5. That means a terminal upward, uh, uh, fed funds rate. Uh, Meister, the return to price stability will be painful. Uh, this is one of her quotes. It's not always going, it's not always going to be, you know, 25 basis points, <laughs> meaning it's going to be 50. Mm. Um, as we showed, when the economy calls for it, we can move faster and we can do bigger increases at any particular reason. So are they warming us up for the 50 basis point surprise? Who knows? Now, the only here's a quote down below. The only reason for rate cuts is a recession or a financial event that requires monetary policy to offset rising risk. In other words, 
They're saying the only reason to really stimulate is we're really worried about a crash landing, a, a thing, or if you get like a 9-11 or some big event, you shouldn't be jumping around and try. they should not be trying to manipulate the economy all the time. That's what causes these uh, boom and bust cycles. Anyway, of course, the risk of a no landing scenario is based on lagging economic data. The problem with the data is the lag in the monetary tightening has not been reflected as of yet. This is very important. The next several months, the data will begin to fully reflect the impact of higher interest rates on a debt-laden economy. Uh, more importantly, Loretta Meister stated last week, to get inflation under control, the no-landing scenario is not an option. The return to price stability will be painful. So that's where she's going. Um, um, Let's see, let's, uh, a little bit more, sorry, the strong unemployment. Oh, so, there's, so here are a couple facts, pro and con. The strong unemployment report in January certainly gives uh, the Fed plenty of reasons to continue tightening. Uh, but the slowing economic, but the, but the job growth is slowing. It is showing slowing. Um, so it's the rate. Um, the unemployment, while unemployment is still growing, the unemployment growth will likely turn negative over the next couple months. And big tech is announcing a lot of uh, layoffs. Retail sales for January also showing deterioration. And it said um, 3% monthly increase in January, uh, the most significant jump since March of 2021. However, that is all on a nominal basis. This is what I was saying earlier. In other words, even though consumers didn't um, have a stymie check, meaning last time the retail sales were up, that was the Biden stimulus check. They got an extra check in the mail. They spent more. That's when you had that pop. It said the the boost the, to boost spending. They spent to they spent more to buy less on an inflation adjusted basis. That's why I'm saying you've got to go to unit sales, not not uh, uh, dollar sales. Okay. While most of the job recovery uh, was hiring back employees that were let go, the surge in stimulus-fueled retail sales will ultimately revert uh, employment growth. So the bottom line is they're saying there's different scenarios, and here's a synopsis. The eventual reversion of the economic data to economic normality Ooh, there's a big word, will ultimately result in something vastly different than a no landing scenario. He's saying no matter what, it's, it's, it's going to be something, but it's not going to be a soft. It's either going to be hard or soft, but there's not going to be no right. landing. Okay. We think the bulls are misreading the tea leaves once again. The current no landing scenario does not make sense. It's at odds with the Fed's goal of combating inflation pressures. They are going to try to get inflation because they've already stated it. The outcome is likely not bullish for equities over the year. That's, I don't disagree with that. Nobody really knows. The bulls are correct. The feds will eventually cut rates. Uh, however, they will do, they will be doing so to offset the impact of reflationary drag. Such does not equate to higher equity prices. Markets must adjust for lower earnings. Uh, uh, be careful of the narrative you pick. Okay. So the bottom line is, what is the feds going to do? What do we need to do to get this inflation under control? Right. And how 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 much pain are they willing to cause? That is going to be the key uh, moving forward. And it's really the market's perception of that. OK. All right. Now, speaking of narratives, I'm going to do this and then we're going to I'm going to cut over to Don. So we have time for those boys. Yeah. The perfect stock market indicator uh -huh. right here. Perfect stock market. If you know this, you don't have to do anything. Else. This is it right here. This is it. This, this is, is a magic. Yeah. OK. Find the magic indicator that reliably times market tops and bottoms. It says Wall Street spends billions of dollars a year trying to find it, but the tools have eluded even the greatest investment minds in history. He said the closest thing to such an indicator has been hiding in plain sight the whole time. Uh, he said, and making the simple terms um, and making a few simple trades off this indicator and ignoring everything else happening in the markets, you could beat the performance of many hedge fund managers. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, number one, ever read The Economist? The Economist is a mag The Economist is one of the most widely read financial magazines in the world. It's been published at weekly since 1843. Okay. But whenever they have a cover, they're normally wrong. 
So last summer it said Europe's winter peril. It said Europeans were literally going to be starving in the street. And this guy that's writing the article says, while I'm, I'm a European and my prices did go up or double or triple, I didn't freeze to death, so I'm good. But here is one of the things he looks at. He says, look, if you look at The Economist, it was talking about it talking about natural gas prices. Natural gas was on the cover of their thing, talking about how it was going to explode. It had already gone up, folks. By the time it came out on The Economist, it started dropping. Okay, now. Um, the economist has on almost a supernatural ability to nail tops and bottoms of major trends, but not in a good way. The economist writes a glowing cover story, of certain assets of a country. It's usually time to sell. So now they're showing two different pictures of Brazil, the economy of Brazil, 2009 and 2016. One was Brazil takes off. It says Brazil's about poised to take off. It already had a huge rally. And as soon as the economist came out with that, a year later, Brazil was in the toilet and you lost a ton of money. And then it says Brazil's fall. That was the bottom. Mm. Okay. I'll give you a few others. The end of an oil age. This is also the economist. October, 2003. Just go pull up a chart of oil after October of 2003. I'll show it to you right here. If you can see that. Yeah. So it's there. There is one they called it. Okay. And it's and it says uh, it's not just the economists. Popular financial magazines tend to be ultimate contrarian indicators too. When Facebook IPO'd in 2012, Barron Barron wasn't convinced its business model of selling internet ads was sustainable. So Barron's was saying Facebook not worth it. Now this is if you're you know buying longer term and holding. But the whole point is, and we've talked about this a lot this last year, mm -hmm. that financial periodicals, you're the cattle, right? they're the roper, they're delivered, they're the cowboy, they're delivering you to market. You think you're the product. That's why they give you all these free subscriptions or cheap subscriptions. It doesn't even cover the paper they send you. The I mean, it doesn't even co cover their cost. They, they want to have a huge subscription base so they can sell advertising. All right. Did fortune predict the housing crash? Americans were making money hand over fist, flipping houses back in 2005. The average, so Fortune called the real estate gold rush in the summer of 2005. Uh, just a couple years later, there it is again. Okay. Uh, when a CEO appears on the cover of Time magazine, it's time to dump their stock. Uh, uh, Amazon Jeff Bezos Person of the Year, 1999, and they said, this is Amazon and tech stocks are the place to be. That was right before the tech wreck and right before Amazon fell over 90%. Time anointed Elon Musk the king in 2021. The beginning, or, or a little bit later in 2021, since then, Tesla has gotten hammered. Hammered. Okay. Um, so then this guy, he gets a question. Stephen, aren't you just cherry picking examples? The Economist, Time, and other magazines published thousands of cover stories over the past two decades. Of course, not all of them would lead to uh, money losing trades. However, so here's his answer. Two Citibank analysts studied the magazine indicator and found most of the time it pays to bet against the journos. So you're better than 50-50 taking a contrarian view. Uh, the pair roughly, the pair took roughly 50 economist covers over the past 25 years. 68% uh, uh, of the covers were wrong. Okay. Um, if you're setting up a, so it's basically saying if you're just doing on economist covers, um, you did well. Why are magazine covers such a good contrarian indicator? Folks usually pay attention to an asset only after it has surged in price. Um, by that time, uh, by that time, it makes the front cover uh, of a magazine. Um, and then, you know, there's not a whole lot of room uh, uh, for it to go higher. Now, it says, and don't forget, these journals are just doing their job. They're not investors. Most of the time, they write about what's hot in the market. So look, something pops, and they, they're going in to try to explain it. Of course. They're trying to explain the phenomena. Okay? So that's, that's why uh, I did that. Okay. So what are the two things the economist is right now, the last two things they predict? 
Crypto's downfall. In other words, it's saying crypto's done, it's dead, it's over. Got Sam Bankman fried on the cover. I mean, I'm not a big crypto fan, but hey, if you're not right now, if you oh, oh. And America, big, green, and mean, the ESG investing. That's all the rage right now. They're pushing that. Mm. They want us ESG investing. But why? That's what you really need to know. Anyway, so that may be uh, coming under pressure. Um, uh, very quickly, we'll talk about Vivek Ramaswamy. He is against that ESG crusade investing. He said it's wrong. They got ulterior motives. It's all about the big, big, huge mega funds wanting to keep your money in their funds. And by the way, they're investing in all the dirty oil stocks and all those evil ones. In fact, they got a lot of lawsuits once everybody realized that. So they weren't really that didn't didn't really help that much. All right. One last thing and then we'll go straight to the guys. Um a couple of weeks ago I was talking about to pa pa pass or bypass. Do you need a bypass clause in your will? And the 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 Trump uh, tax error things that are going to sunset in January of 2026 um the bypass is not necessarily needed in your will or your revocable trust. You can automatically get it for right now. But as soon as January 1st, 2026 comes, that expires and then you may need that. So when I have clients write wills or tr revocable trust, I have them insert that anyway. So then you don't have to go back to the lawyer. And have them, because see, the lawyers write it for as it is right now. And because they want you to come back in two years. Right. So you got to keep updating it. Also, if your estate just throwing out numbers is $3 million, write it for it's like $6 million. Write it for 10 years from now. Don't, don't write it for, for right now. So think about that. Uh, sometimes lawyers don't use calculators. Again, so you got to come in. All right. With that said, again, folks, all these articles are on the show. We can talk about all those. Um, let's go straight to, oh, we'll get to the mailbag after yeah. we do um, um, Don and Ted. Let's go right to Ted. Ted, you got an uh, update on breadth data? Yeah. So I'm going to talk about breadth again this week. Um, so as of yesterday's close, the New York Stock Exchange net highs and net lows are barely holding on to net high readings. But this is a, um, this is a change versus previous pullbacks as we're continuing down today. Um, previous, on previous pullbacks, you can clearly see that net lows pour back into the markets. Um, I think that's that one's a NASDAQ, Don, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, anyways, uh, New York Stock Exchange is holding positive readings so far. We'll see what happens at the close today. And then for the NASDAQ, which is on the screen now, we did pierce into net low territory again. But as you can see, net lows are significantly less than uh, previous pullbacks before in 2022. So that continues to be a good indication. However, if net lows continues to expand, then that's definitely a big, big red flag. Um, obviously, you got to couple that with price action of index indexes as well. Um, continue on for the percent of stocks above the 200-day simple moving average. For the S&P 500, we continue to stay strong in an uptrend and holding the 21 EMA. So I, I personally believe that as long as breath stays strong and we don't have a huge collapse, we we can we could probably continue to carve out something here. But with PCE today and the Fed continue their uh, rate hiking plan and QT, we'll, we'll we'll just have to see what transpires there. Um, the Nasdaq percent of stocks today, similar story here with the S&P. We are still in the uptrend. 200 days is in the uptrend above the 50 day and 21 EMA. So that's still good. And then finally, NASI is the NASDAQ McClellan summation index and is one indicator I, I like to pay attention to. So on the chart, I have plotted the 10 day moving average. And then I recently added something called a parabolic SAR. And I just use the default um, settings that's on stock charts. And these two um, kind of, um, indicators on the chart show the trend and if you look back in the last year this indicator has actually done quite well in predicting market turns 
And so this one actually hooked down in the beginning of February. So we took that indication and started trimming instead stocks or even cutting back laggards. That definitely could have saved you, saved you some, some money. Um, that's it on this week on breath. All right. Uh, we are teetering as some of these are rolling over. We're teetering right on the edge of the 200 day moving average today. Uh, after bouncing off the 50 day for a couple of days, we've given way uh, today on the 200 day moving average. Let's go over to uh, Mike next. Mike, what's uh, on your agenda today? Okay. Um, not directly um, related to um, obviously breadth and, and things we just spoke about, but uh, something I wanted to mention was um, I have heard a lot of talk of uh, people that are interested in investing in um, in Chinese stocks or foreign stocks. And um, some, something I wanted to mention that, that needs to be considered when you're looking at foreign stocks um, are the, the risks that are involved. And usually foreign stocks, when they're listed on the US, it's they're, they're listed as something called ADRs, which stand for American Depository Shares. And what that means is that uh, is that a bank is issuing those shares, but the shares are still listed in the foreign country, but it gives American investors access to it. So the problem with that is that there are three major risks that are involved in ADRs. The is the exchange rate risk. So that's the risk that the currency, you need to pay attention to, to the currency of that, that security. So if you're investing in Chinese stocks, the currency, the yuan, you have to look at how the yuan is doing against the U.S. dollar. And an environment now where the dollar is rising, you've got higher interest rates. Even if the business is doing well abroad, that impact of a higher dollar will make those securities cheaper in price. So you will see uh, some some negative weight on those, some negative pressure on those shares just due to currency risk. Something else is political risk, and that's huge. Is politics or regime changes in the issuing company's country will under um will basically undermine the exchange rates or destabilize the company and its earnings and you've also got geopolitical risks so with chinese stocks as well it's it's not so much how well the company's doing they could be doing great but if there's geopolitical risks currency risks and then lastly inflation risks you've got a big problem there and a, a stock i was invested in uh for for a little while was ypf it's an oil and gas name but I decided to cut it and I, I didn't want exposure because it's an, an Argentinian uh, ADR and Argentina has some serious inflation risks. Their, their currency is being devalued by the day. And when you get into those situations, it's really beyond your control. And, and it, it's just why add more risk than necessary in, in picking stocks and the chart can look great, everything can look fine, and then one day there there could be a coup or there could be runaway inflation that was unexpected or just something in that, uh, for example, what we saw in Turkey, a terrible earthquake. And a lot of Turkish stocks that have been doing well got crushed on, a, on an earthquake. So there's things beyond your control that, that uh, just, it, it's better, I would say, to invest in American companies and things that you have a little more understanding of how they work than in, in foreign stocks that are subject to so many risks. So when you're looking at foreign stocks, pay attention to the ADRs and, and have a look at um, the, those, those certain factors and, and, and inform yourself on, on the currency risk and, and what's going on in the political system there. One thing I would like to add, one thing I would like to add. So up till now, just recently, the international markets have kind of heated up a little bit yeah. and have started to do well. But for the last few years, for quite a while now, the American economy, the American stock market has been the best. It's been the strongest. And so, so there's really no reason to even go overseas. In other words, if the American stock and bond market are paying you more than international, why would you even take that extra risk? Because mm -hmm. Michael's right, you do have currency risk, you do have foreign exchange risk. Only just recently with the international uh, and emerging markets kind of heating up, has the, just like the periodicals start talking about it, they start writing about it now and all of a sudden in the last month, you've seen more articles come up about emerging markets and you didn't see any articles about it for about a year and a half because they were just getting slaughtered. 
right? Nobody's talking about it. Right. So now all of a sudden it is. So is it a little bit too late? Here's another key. Michael's right. The currency is key. The dollar. Is the dollar getting stronger or weaker, especially relative to their currency? All right. Enough said. Don? Yeah. I, I'm, I brought up a chart of uh, VXUS. Zach, if you could show this. This is foreign uh, developed nation stocks. And focus on this blue relative strength line. So while the U.S. was rallying uh, in 2021, foreign stocks were significantly underperforming U.S. stocks. And then uh, starting in November of last year through the end of uh, January this year, foreign stocks outperformed the U.S. and everybody was talking about how important it was to have diversification. Didn't say a word about it uh, while we <laughs> were trending lower on a relative basis, but uh, also note that that relative strength has given way since uh, January 20th and on a relative basis, foreign stocks are heading lower. Same situation with emerging markets. I'll go to a weekly chart here and you can see massive underperformance starting with, uh, again, February 2021, uh, a counter trend outperformance from uh, November through the end of January again before rolling, rolling back over again. And uh, sometimes, what's apparent in the news does not get reflected on uh, the stock exchange in the middle of January. We heard all about how China had finally given up. They're going to give up their zero COVID and this should be fantastic for mainland China stocks. Since then, this is uh, ASHR. These are stocks that trade on the main index in China. Uh, that's down about 10% uh, over the last four weeks. Uh, K-Web, which is stocks, internet type stocks, tech stocks that are Chinese but trade on the U.S. exchange, rolled over similarly at the same time, uh, late January, and they're sitting on their 200-day moving average now. So from 36 to uh, 28, about a, a double-digit 15, 16% loss there. Uh, again, the news is not the market. You got to pay attention to what the market's doing. In this case, it front ran. COVID, uh, K-Web rallied from October uh, to the end of January, along with the other foreign stocks that we talked about, the foreign indexes, before giving it up toward the end of January and underperforming not only on a price basis, but also on a relative basis. And by the way, so, so, so that's Don, one, one quick comment. So Don showed you how in November and December and January, for those couple months, the emerging market started heating up and rallying. That also kind of uh, uh, coincided with the dollar getting a little softer because exactly. it looked like yeah. it looked looked like the Fed was gonna pause a little bit, and now the dollar's been strengthening again because the Fed looks like they're gonna ramp up uh, interest rates to to kill inflation. But my point is, all those emerging market and international equity articles all started coming out in January after you had a month or two of of you know outperformance or a little bit of good data and so they're trying to explain that and they're saying "Ooh, it's early well it might be and it might continue but it might not it might roll over mm. that's why you have more rules all right so go ahead guys and and don can can we quickly just um overlay actually the the dollar chart with eeb or any of these uh emerging market um or chinese um etfs that we looked at because it, it is very interesting actually yeah in november that's when when um, they started taking off and the dollar rolled over and now it's, it's almost inverse. Right. Yep. Complete so opposite that, of, what yeah. of what you would see. Yeah. And, that, it, and if you're not in, if you're not watching the dollar while you're investing internationally, you're a rookie. You're, you're playing with sharks. I'm telling you, you're going to get your head handed to you. you <laughs> So I know the strong dollar is bad for emerging markets and it's been a headwind for the US market also. Why isn't the strong dollar benefiting external uh, developed international countries? Because uh, more expensive dollar means that their uh, currencies, namely the yen and uh, the euro should be weakening relative to the dollar, right? Yeah, the dollar is stronger against, yes, other relative currencies. That's exactly right. 
But that means that they anything they buy, if they do it internally, if within your own country it doesn't matter, you don't, you feel the inflation, you buy less. But you actually, it's really the relative basis you see. So if their currency is weakening, that means anything they buy from us is more expensive. It's harder to do. Okay, it's good for exporters. It's bad for importers. Okay, but it also causes fear in the markets, the inflation. All right. Thanks, Mike. Let's go over to Connor now. What do you got for us this week, Connor? Um, so, yeah, so this week I just wanted to talk about, you know, we've seen a decent pullback in the S&P um, over the last few weeks from, from the swing high. And I think what, what the team we're doing and the best way to position yourself if the market rallies back is you want to be in the stocks that have held up the, the best versus um, the market when it's pulling back. So, you know, earlier this year, um, we saw a lot of these high beta growth names seeing um, very large moves off the lows. And it kind of goes hand in hand because when the market pulls back, all these names are seeing um, a lot more severe uh, pullbacks on the markets versus other leaders. So I think what I've been doing and I know the team has is we're trying to find the names that are holding up the best. Um, and despite the market pulling back. So I have five names on my list that I think are, are holding up very well while the market pulls back. So I wanted to highlight them. Um, the first one is ACLS. This one's, we've been talking about the strength in the semiconductor sector, and this one has just been doing very well. I mean, as you can see, the market's down over 200 points, but this has just had a minor pullback to the 21. Um, and so really it, it's, it's hard to get an entry in this one. It's gone pretty much straight up. And really the first couple pullbacks we've seen have been the first uh, entry points. But, you know, if the market rebounds, I would like to think that these stocks would be the ones that, that lead the rebound as well because they've held up the best. Uh, the next one is ELF. This one, again, this is, we've been talking about all these uh, earnings gappers, and this is another example of one, um, and it's held the gains uh, very well after its earnings gap, and that's that's what you want to see. It's It's been riding the AEMA. Um, it's pulling back a little bit today, today, but relative to the market, not much at all. So some of these names are kind of trading in their own league, and, and that can be really positive. Uh, next one is TMDX. Um, this is in, in the medical medical space, and they reported earnings yesterday, um, gapped up. I think they're up over 20%. Um, and, you know, the RS is making new highs while the market pulls back. So just clear out performance the, on this one. And it's getting day two uh, follow through as well um, while the market tests the 200-day uh, moving average. So that's really good action in that one. Um, the next one is SMCI. Similar story to this one. I mean, this is, uh, I really like like the company on this one. It's, it came back to test the 21, had three red straight red days, but after testing the 21, it's seen a really nice bounce. And this one's really trading in its own league as well. It's been acting really well. And I think um, these are the names that you wanna, you know, keep on your watch list because if market conditions improve, these can be true market leaders in the future. And the last one is ALGM. And this is, uh, yeah, this is another one in the semiconductor space. This one's seen a, a little pullback as well, but like I said, still holding up. And these are really the first uh, spots to maybe get a small starter position, but it's still hard to say with so much uncertainty going on. But yeah, these are just five names that I keep on my watch list. Uh, I call it the Bates Basket. Don gave some inspiration to that one. Um, so I keep, so these are names I'm just continuously monitoring and, and watching. No coincidence yeah, that four of those five are in the 21 over 21 also. We uh, were always uh, 
have in a never-ending quest to find the stocks that are holding up the best and provide the best returns going forward when you get the market uh, tailwind as opposed to the market headwinds that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. Thanks, Connor. Five great names there. Uh, I mentioned Elf last night, and uh, that the and again the relative strength line is your best friend. I, I mentioned in the video last night the strength is revealed in the pullback, not necessarily in when you're going forward, because a rising tide lifts all boats. When the tide starts to come back, you find out which stocks uh, aren't going to hold up and which ones are. One that's breaking down very clearly today is Mobileye, which had been a leader for a long time, strong breakout on after its earnings report, uh, but now selling off on double average volume, breaking the 21 today. Uh, looks like it has a date with the 50-day moving average. But let's get back <laughs> to the indexes. Uh, and uh, two, two undercuts and reclaim of the 50-day moving average had us uh, neutral to uh, hopeful by the end of yesterday's session, you always like to see a strong close in the market, but we woke up to a gap down. Uh, then PCE inflation data came out at 8.30. It uh, made the market's head lower. Right now, uh, the 200-day moving average for the S&P 500 is at 39.40. Our low of the day is 39.43. This is as of 11.20 Eastern time uh, on Friday, and we bounced uh, a bit off there. Uh, the bad news is that uh, as, after we broke the 21-day moving average earlier this week, we took some exposure off. Uh, breaking the 50, if we end up, looks like we're not going to reclaim that, we'll be taking a little bit more exposure off. But uh, it makes this 200-day moving average level even more critical. That also corresponds with 39.50, which uh, if you look at 60-minute chart was a critical level. Uh, back here in uh, January, 39.50 acted as resistance as we were trying to go higher. At the beginning of January, we finally broke through it. We came back, broke it again, broke back up through it, tested it, and held it on January 25th, and the market went higher since then. And this is the level that we're sitting on right now, 39.50-ish. So that, along with 39.40 at the 200-day moving average, is kind of the goal line. Uh, the bears are holding the ball, trying to get in. The, uh, the bulls have their uh, defense on the field. They're stacked. Their bears are trying to get a quarterback sneak into the end zone, break below 39.40, and the bulls are going to do everything that they can uh, to hold it up. But again, if we get back below that 200-day uh, moving average, which is just starting to flatten out, we know that uh, that's our, our playbook here at Revere. Beneath the 200-day moving average, you're at risk uh, for a severe pullback, and um, we'll be watching very closely then. As far as what ticket we're in now, uh, we had the severe bear market uh, last year. Uh, early recovery is what we had seen starting late last year and through January. That shifted to a phase one bull market, which is either an early bull or a bear market rally. Looking right now like it was a bear market rally, we're in this pullback range, which means we pull back more than 4%. Uh, so these are different types of market classifications right now. Uh, we're headed towards this uh, mild correction now that we're uh, over more than 4%. And uh, this is our expectations for the way we manage portfolios. There's times when we know we're going to underperform. There's times when we should outperform. There's times when we're kind of going to be in line. We're in the in line uh, with the market right now uh, phase, and uh, that's our expectation, and that's kind of where we've been. But that could uh, change. Very, but that could change very quickly. Sure, absolutely. I mean, if the absolutely. market starts can, breaking down, we will quickly move to heavy cash position. Absolutely. So, and and what you're saying right now, Don, just to clarify for the new people, you're saying right now we're on we're right on resting on support, and this really longer term support, and this really has to hold. It does, and also testing the 200 day moving average on the Nasdaq 100. Also, uh, reminder the Nasdaq the 50 day is still below the 200 because of this extreme period of underperformance from October all the way through the end of the year in the big NASDAQ 100 type stocks, which 
uh, forced the NASDAQ to underperform. It's, it's outperformed uh, for most of January, kind of in line with the S&P recently, but also a key level there. So both the S&P and the NASDAQ uh, 100, the QQQ and the SPY sitting on their 200-day moving average, and today's lows are critical. So we'll see what uh, brings by the end of the day. I'll update it all in the uh, big show video, which I'll do after the close today, including an updated 21 over 21 list. Make sure you check that out uh, tonight or uh, this weekend. And that's it, Dan. All right. Thanks, Don. Listen, folks, if you like what you heard, tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just tell them to revereasset.com. They can go up into the right-hand corner of the website and there's a subscribe button they can just put their name and email address in we won't reach out to them or spam them in any way it's up to them to reach out to us oh we forgot to do the mailbag we got to do the mailbag real quick oh hey thank you sorry sorry about that folks i'll take that back hang on we're producing on the fly all right so sorry about that this is very important. Hi, Don. Thanks again for your time yesterday. A couple of follow-up questions I didn't get to get to. No rush on reply, or you can just put it in the mailbag on Friday's show. Here goes. One, when you're in a leveraged ETF for an extended period, does the decay of its price, correla uh, price correlation with the underlying index bother you at all? I kind of learned the hard way when I stayed in three times SPXL for a few weeks that it means three times the S&P 500. It didn't go my way at first, but I stayed in it. By the time things turned around and SPX returned to the price level where I bought SPXL, SPXL was still showing a considerable deficit, the, the leverage, substantial decay. Not sure if this not sure if this is right, but I've heard it's called contango. It is, it, it, is this a concern for you when you use two times leverage ETFs in order to reduce portfolio percentage allocation for an index? Uh, as you discussed a couple of days ago, Friday, it might have been, might have been the Monte Carlo show. Okay. Second question. I wanted an idea. Uh, I also wanted uh, an idea how you react to the rapid declines during the COVID bear market, uh, quick drawdown March 2022, and then the fast recovery. Did you get caught in the headlights in a situation like that? What about the crash? What about in a crash situation like 1929? Have you ever gained that out? I realize we have circuit breakers in place now, but just curious how your system works uh, when everything is moving super quick with uh, quick and wide with massive volatility and 40% declines over a couple weeks or even uh, sessions. Uh, thank you, Don uh, T. Hi, T. I enjoyed speaking with you last night as well. We we don't hold the leverage ETFs through downtrends. In strong uptrends, uh, I've seen them perform by a significant by by a slightly greater amount than their leverage. So it can work both ways. Uh, the the, the non-correlation in choppy periods there is some minor decay, but nothing has made me shy away from using them. Contego doesn't apply here. That is for commodity-based ETFs. Okay. Second question. We did a good job getting out of, out in COVID uh, by following our three time frame approach. Our loss was high single digits versus the 30s in the S&P. In a rapid circuit breaker market, we would be selling and or hedging to reduce risk. These types of sell offs usually appear when the market is already unhealthy. So our exposure would all should already be reduced. This was the case uh, with our flash crash. We already had broken the 21 EMA and 50 day simple moving average. So under our rules, our exposure should be around half of the markets. Let me know if you have any other questions, Don. Um, um, and then I added, I, this is on an email exchange. I would like to add that we peeled off layers and saw, as we saw the internals uh, deteriorate, advanced decline line, distribution days, et cetera. So you take money off in layers. You just don't go all in and all out in one day. Uh, and it got, uh, and as, as the market got worse and was rolling over. Also, the same person asked me about loss harvesting. So I wanted to go over the rules uh, 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 that you would do every year if you do uh, a pie charts or asset allocation. Uh, Revere does it 
automatically. So he was also asking me about loss harvesting and should you do that. Folks, you if, you're, if you've got a place where you're, at the end of every year, if you're kind of like a buy and hold or you've got losses, you should always book material losses probably in late November because if those stocks have losses already, more people are going to do loss harvesting at the end. More retail investors wait till mid-December to do their loss harvesting right before Christmas or right after. And then those stocks that you have losses in, so do a lot of other people. They went down, and so they're going to, it may get worse. So normally you do want to do your loss harvest a little bit early. But the only reason you would not book a material loss is if you thought it was going to go up more than 20% in 31 days when you can buy the same stock back. Okay? Guess what? We're not, we don't buy stocks that go up 20% in 30 days consistently. It happens occasionally, but not, not very often. I wish it was that easy, right? And so I know I'm going to get that tax alpha. So why wouldn't I? And if you really like that space, that particular sector, you could buy Merck and sell Pfizer or, you know, buy, you know, buy NVIDIA and sell Intel or whatever it is. You could do a swap or you could use an ETF. Point being is you'll really get a big bang for your buck. Now, second thing. With Revere, because we keep our losses small, I mean, we, we, we have stops on our stuff. We don't use physical stops. The market makers know where they are, and they rape retail investors on that. But we use alerts, and when we get an alert, then we put in the proper market order, the right type of order. Um, but we're going we're gonna to limit losses. So we've already done a bunch of lost harvesting ongoing during the year. Because anything that's, we don't let them break out to big losses. So we've got accumulative losses. So we don't have to do a lot of lost uh, harvesting during the end of the year. But if you're more passive, you need to do that. Uh, that's very important. The only other thing I would like to uh, add is with those leveraged ETFs, uh, T, you're right. They do have decay. You don't want to, they're not made to buy and hold long term. Okay, they're taking a direction and especially if the direction changes, they reset daily. So if you go down, down, down and you lose, remember, if you lose 11, 10%, you need 11.1 to get back even. If you lose 25%, you need 37 and a half to get back even. If you lose 50%, you need 100% to get back even. So that leveraged ETF loses more. Then a single ETF loses three times as much. And then on the snapback, you need more to get back even. But they also do the daily reset. So there is a little with the leveraged and inverse leveraged ETFs. Over time, there's a little bit of tracking here. But it still is a great tool, especially for short-term uh, hedging or trying to make money if you think the market's going to go down or even up and adding exposure. But we don't hold them uh, for the long term. All right. Moving on. Uh, oh, and this is another comment. Your interview with Moglin was fantastic at such a critical time, too, at the beginning of the 2022 bear. Uh, had I been directed to the interview first, you would have saved, uh, I would have saved you having a one-on-one -on -one with me last night. Uh, that's not. Um, the whole interview resonates and was, pr uh, was pretty tuned, was a, it, so let me try that again. The whole interview resonates like a perfectly tuned instrument. Thank, thanks for pointing me to that. Folks, if you have not watched Don Moglin's, uh, Don Vandenborg, Richard Moglin's interview with Trader Lion, send me an email and I'll send it to the link to you. It is awesome. Don literally takes an hour and 20, 30 minutes and goes over all kinds of different portfolio strategies and things you can do. So if you're a stock nerd, you'll want to watch this. Okay. And then um, lastly, you guys said to send any tickers and you'd offer your opinions. So here goes. I've been looking at the high dividend ETF, JP Morgan, J-E-P-I, right? J-E-P-I. Seems like share price does not move much uh, with much volatility, but the dividend is up around 11 to 12 percent. Uh, consistently annualized performance over 13%. If it's got a 12% dividend, that, that's a measure of risk. High, Apple does not have to pay a very high dividend because it's very safe. It's just like investment grade bonds, okay, uh, versus high yield or junk bonds. You know the old adage, the old joke in Wall Street, uh, what's the difference between a high yield bond and a junk bond? Nothing. A high yield bond is when the guy's trying to sell it to you, the broker, a junk bond is when he's trying to make you sell it so he can sell you his stuff. 
you transfer it in with it in. Because in brokers, it's the changing of the investment business, not the investment business. If they don't buy their products for you with their commission schedules, they don't make any money. We don't have any of those conflicts at Revere. We don't make any money off any products. Anyway, so I did, I did hear a podcast from the High Dividend Opportunity guy, Scott Kaufman, who poo-pooed J-E-P-I saying, beware of it. But I've, but I've also heard positive views. Who knows? Everyone has a, a sales-driven agenda these days, uh, even over at Seeking Alpha. Oh, yeah. Seeking Alpha, yeah, you got to worry about who you're reading on Seeking Alpha because that's amalgamation of a whole bunch of different authors, and each author has their own agenda. So, yes, you got to be careful. All right, Don, what are your thoughts on that dividend ETF? The, the, the reason why the um, dividend is so high is because they pull from uh, they pull from capital appreciation and pay it out as dividends. I'm showing here a year-to-date uh, chart of JEPI, and you can see the S&P year-to-date is up 3%. It's down 1.5%. Uh, so it's lagging i don't think that they've paid out any dividends yet but they must be holding them but that's a four and a half percent swing uh if you let's see how long the how much longer the time frames are on this i had looked into this uh, in the past so here's uh this is a three year of jepi versus the s p 500 so jepi is up seven percent versus 34 percent for the s p so what's happening is they've paid out uh, the dividend over three years. So let's assume the dividend, I, I don't know what the dividend was consistently for the last couple of years, but the bottom line is you're between the dividend and what the S&P does is you're basically gonna break even. It's just a way of uh, making it look more attractive on a, a dividend basis if, if it's important for you to get income, but the bottom line is your underlying is going to be decaying. The value of it is going to be decaying uh, to make up for the high uh, yield that they're paying. So there's no free lunch. It's just a way of, uh, it's just a different way. And it's something that you say all the time, Dan, it does, you can either pull income out <clears throat> as capital appreciation or as dividends, but the bottom line is net net, it's really not that much different at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And whether it's a capital gain or qualified dividend, the same tax rate. Now, one other thing. So there's a lot of REITs, real estate companies that don't actually invest in the actual real estate. They actually push paper around. They do the mortgaging and the financing and they finance the deals. Right. And so they and they get investors to buy in. And so you're helping create these big pools of mortgage backed paper and they and they have they can dice them up and basically they cut them up and to do different things floaters and inverse floaters and I don't want to get too complicated but that's kind of what blew up the system in 2008 with the real estate crisis and all that mortgage paper but a lot of that mortgage paper they'll borrow and lever up they'll more they'll go into margin and they'll borrow on it and so that's another way they not on this one I'm saying but that's another way they can leverage up the return so you can get a 12 15 even 18 percent yield the problem is as soon as interest rates go up and mortgage refi slow down considerably and all of a sudden that paper dries up, they get in a squeeze and that thing can lose 30, 40% of its value. Those things will get just taken to the woodshed. So that high dividend, you still got to watch the price carefully because if it starts to break down, some of those, they'll break down bigly. All right, folks, listen, now I'm going to go to the outro, unless anybody else has anything to add. Folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com up in the upper right-hand corner. There's a subscribe button. They can put their name in and their um, email. We won't spam them anyway. It's up to them to reach out to us, and they can reach out for a complimentary portfolio review. They can, and by the way, there's a subscribe, I mean, a uh, uh, um, contact us button next to the subscribe button if you want to shoot me an email or a question uh, for the show. We can do a complimentary portfolio review. We can talk about a topic on the air. Uh, or if you just have questions or comments, uh, don't feel free to feel free to reach out to us. But our, our daily market insight video, Don does a video every night the market's open. And we do this podcast on Friday morning. And by the way, this will be delivered in your inbox tomorrow morning. 
Now, if you go to YouTube and you just hit go to Revere, just search Revere Asset. That's it. Revere Asset. Hit subscribe. Uh, Zach will have this thing done in, within an hour. You'll have it by one central time yeah. before the market closes if you, if you get it that way. Okay. You can also email any of us, Dan at RevereAsset.com, Don at RevereAsset.com, Michael, Ted, or Connor at RevereAsset.com. And you can call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Have a good weekend. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you next week on your money because it's not how much you make in the markets it's how much of that you can keep Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.